The peace of Christ be with you. I hope you don't challenge them to Red Rover because you're toast. Uh, we're at about five to one right now. As we settle into this space, I invite you to quiet yourselves and to take a couple of deep breaths and allow yourself to become aware of the Spirit's presence. Friends, let us worship the living God. Please stand as you are able for the call to worship. Come as you are into this house of prayer. Come and open yourself to the possibility of encountering the holy. Come because you are welcomed here.
You may be seated. I want to welcome you here to Westminster. If you're visiting with us today, a special welcome to you. I invite you after worship to our patio for coffee, tea, and snacks, and a chance to get to know each other better. Let's join together now in our community prayer. It's printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. Hidden God, sometimes we have trouble finding you in our lives. We are torn between difficult choices. We see and experience unspeakable tragedies. We witness and engage in hurtful activity. In the midst of this, you offer us the invitation to let go of the falsities of our world and of our lives and the chance to be born into new possibilities. We seek to accept that invitation with open hearts. Amen. We continue our prayers in quiet. Amen. Friends, God knows we make mistakes. God knows we get caught up in our own striving and our own ambition. And by the grace of God, we are forgiven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are set free. Thanks be to God. Amen. So now I'd like to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us to come join me here at the front. Good morning, you guys. Good morning, good morning. So, I don't know why it's summertime. Hey, guys, good to see you. It's summertime, so I shouldn't be thinking about school. But for some reason this week, I was thinking about school. And I was thinking about sometimes you have to miss school, right? Sometimes you might be sick, or sometimes you might be out of town. And often, your parent, your grandparent, or someone has to write a note telling your teacher why you weren't there. And so I was looking up this week some different notes for why people weren't at school, and I wanted, I wanted to share some of them with you. One of them says, please excuse Josh for being absent. I forgot to wake him up, and I didn't find him until I started making the beds. <laughs> By then it was too late for him to go to school. And then here's another one. It says, please excuse Janet's absence from school. It was take your daughter to work day. Since I work at home, I made her stay home with me and do chores all day. How about that one? This is a good one, too. Please excuse Mary for missing school yesterday. We forgot to get the Sunday paper off the porch. And when we found it on Monday, we thought it was Sunday. Pretty silly excuses for not going to school, huh? So I was thinking about these excuses because in Sunday school, you're going to hear a story about a man named Moses. And God was asking Moses to do something kind of hard, 
to help his people move to a safer and a better place for them. And Moses was full of excuses. He did not want to do what God was asking him to do. He, he told God, well, people just won't believe me. They won't believe that I am, you know, bringing your word and your love to them. And then he told God, he said, oh, you know, if I do what I'm asking, I'm going to have to like talk to people. And I'm just, I'm not a very good speaker in public. I'm just, I'm not the right person. And then finally Moses just said, send someone else. Someone else should go. I just can't do it. But you know, every time that Moses tried to make an excuse to not do what God wanted him to do, God had an answer for it. And I especially like God's last answer when Moses was saying, please send someone else. I'm just not very good at speaking. I don't think I can do it. God said, you know what? Well, I'll send a helper with you. I'll send your brother, in fact, with you to help you along. And I really like that. And I remember that when I'm entering into something that might be hard, when I think God's asking me to do something that might be difficult, maybe something new. I always remember that I don't have to do it by myself. I might want to make all kinds of excuses as to why I can't do it. But then I remember I'm not alone. I've got all of you backing me up. I've got all of these folks backing me up. And especially I've got God with me all the time, helping me out when something might be hard or difficult. So I don't have to make an excuse as to why I can't do it. I can just give it my best shot and know that God will be helping me all the time. So I invite you now to go to Sunday school with Miss Cindy and learn some more about this guy, Moses. He's pretty cool. All right? Cindy's right there. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may go. Right now as we... Come to our time of prayer. We like to share our joys and our concerns with each other. I have a few to share with you, and then I'm going to invite you to share any that are in your hearts today. Um, first, those of you that were here last week heard that our pastor emeritus, Doug Hunnicky, was approaching some pretty serious foot surgery. That happened on Friday, and the surgery seemed to go well. He's still in the hospital as he figures out his pain management going forward, but he's very grateful for your prayers and your ongoing prayers as his recovery is going to be very intense. He asks for please no visits and no calls, but certainly to keep him in your prayers as he recovers. Marcy, I saw you. Prayers for Marcy Hinnon and her family following the death of her dad last week, and I see your mom is here too. We continue to hold you all and your family in our prayers. Um, and then finally, you may have read in the paper about the LaRocca family. They, their daughter died pretty tragically this last week as she fell at Land's End. And we have several Westminster families who know the LaRocca family, especially through the connections at SI. So prayers for that family and prayers for the community as they hold that family in their prayers. So are there others that you would like to share, joys or concerns? Yeah, Sherry. who might not have heard Robin Sherry celebrating their ninth wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Yeah, Pat.
absolutely. So Pat offers prayers for a friend of hers, nearest and dearest friend who was just diagnosed with lung cancer. So prayers for the friend, and then Pat also prayers for you as you walk with her during this journey. Others? Yeah, Elizabeth. Elizabeth shares prayers for her daughter and her granddaughter visiting Ethiopia, Ethiopia, especially the village where her granddaughter was born, and continued prayers as they travel. Absolutely. So Tila was sharing that her daughter was at uh, Mount Hermon camp this past week, and they had to shut down due to neurovirus. So they hope they have disinfected, and they're opening back up for camp this week, but just prayers for all the campers there this week that they may stay healthy. Amen. So Pam's aunt here visiting celebrated a special birthday and just offering praise and thanksgiving for being with family and being here in this place in worship. Thank you. Amen. Yes, Lynn. Prayers for granddaughter Sophia in Brazil, who's sick and needs some prayers. Let's take a few moments in quiet, and then I will lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let us pray. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people. We offer them in the name of the one who teaches us to pray together, saying, Our
not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Today's first scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 21. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to us. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, cast out this woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. And for she said, do not... Let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The second reading comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, the sixth chapter, and I'll I'll begin reading in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. In Christ Jesus. This too is holy wisdom 
holy word. Thanks be to God. I wrote a draft of my sermon on Monday this week, which is earlier than I usually do, but I had some things scheduled during my typical writing time, so I needed to get it done. And as far as drafts go, it was fine. Uh, Good enough. I studied the text and made some, I thought, interesting observations about it, and I uh, made a couple of appropriate theological observations. At the end, I was sort of left with the question, so what? (laughs) Same question you might leave here with some weeks. I don't know. But I thought, you know, no problem. I'll put it to bed and come back to it later in the week, which is what I often do to kind of clean it up. Some texts are just easier to work with. They give you clear ethical directives, and it's not hard to take them and and share them with people in a way that they can uh, apply to their lives. I mean, that's easy to do with some passages. And some passages, no matter how you look at them or contort yourselves or contort them, it it just doesn't come out. And that's, I think, a little bit of way, the way I felt about these passages today. Well, anyway, I put the draft to bed and ready to return to it. And then Tuesday night happened. And Tuesday night I had a dream. Or more accurately, it was Wednesday morning, that time in the morning, you know, where you, you come in and out of wakefulness. And that's when my dreams are most intense. And I can still see it now, We were in a green field, it was at Marin, and there were hills in the background, and you were there, some of you were there, and there was a little stage, and a few of the choir members were singing, and then we noticed that the hills were on fire. Everything was burning, wildfires broke out, chaos erupted. And I remember having this feeling of I needed to get home, I needed to get home to make sure my family was safe and to get them out of there. And then I woke. Now, I I rarely have dreams that I remember, certainly dreams that stick with me. This one obviously did. And what's interesting is that as that image kept coming back to me throughout the day and I went to spiritual direction that day, other images started to come up too. Uh, in my wakefulness. Uh, one was of this uh, building with these big Roman columns, sort of tall and proud, and regal stained glass windows. It was a church. It's a church I know. Um, in many ways, a, a, a real standing image of a, of a bygone era. And every time that image of that church came into my mind, I, I had this uh, undeniable feeling of coldness emptiness, like being sucked into uh, nothingness. And every time that image came to me, I just had this feeling of, I I don't want to be there, wherever there is. They weren't all haunting images that day. I had another one, again, came to me time after time. It was of my son. You saw him here a few moments ago. He's about four and a half. And he got to go to nature camp this week. We got a call Friday, there had been a cancellation, and so for a couple hours every morning, he got to go out and explore the trees and the creeks and turn over rocks and make castings of animal prints and all kinds of things, and I didn't drop him off to that camp once, and yet the image of him kept coming to me. 
gathered in a circle with other little children and singing and, and uh, traipsing through the water and, and flipping over rocks to look for things and their, their faces you know, half taken by the sun and half by the shade. It kept coming to me. And he would come back different at night sometimes. He would speak about things differently. One night he was um, telling us about the, uh, the protector plant. You know this? A protector oak. That was the name of it. We call it poison oak. Yeah. <laughs> but they'd given him new language. How delightful is that? Because the protector oak's job is not to poison you. It's not to make you itch or uncomfortable. It's to keep itself safe and provide safe habitat for small birds and other animals that are otherwise vulnerable, the least of these. That's the role of the protector oak. So this image of them kept coming back to me, of them, you know, kind of discovering things and how they fit together and and how how the babies are born. We heard stories of tadpoles and how how life just comes out in the wilderness uh, out of the old discarded things. And every time that image came to me, I had this kind of expansive feeling right in my gut, the sense of fullness and peace and, and strength. And wherever that was, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be a part of that and to see what could come to life. It's become increasingly apparent to me that old things are passing away and some things are burning down. Some ways of doing things and some institutions, the columns are falling. Or at least they're holding up emptiness. And it's scary for me. Maybe you have this in your life too. When you see things fading away, it's a frightening scene. And yet the trick is in the midst of that is to look for where the birth is happening, what's trying to be born in the midst of the chaos. Birth is always tricky. Most of you know this better than I. But just ask Sarah. Sarah from that Older Testament story, a strange story. She can't give Abraham a child. It's always the woman's fault, right? To not, she can't give her husband a child. And so she gives to Abraham her slave girl, her Egyptian slave girl, so that they could have a baby. Well, this slave girl, Hagar, conceives, and they do have a child, and they name him Ishmael. And then, miraculously, Sarah is able to conceive, and she gives Abraham a child of her own. And it's when she sees those two children playing together that she realizes she can't bear to watch it. And so she and Abraham get together and they cast out Hagar and Ishmael into the desert to die. I mean, that's clearly the conclusion that Hagar draws, right? Because it says that after she finishes her one skin of water in the desert, she takes Ishmael in her arms and she places him beneath a bush and she goes, scripture says, uh, a bow shot's distance away. Now, why that far, do you figure? Just far enough so she won't hear him cry as he succumbs to the desert. As an ethical play, that story is troubling at 
best. Where are the directives in that? Where are the exemplars? So, so Sarah is lauded for giving another man, another woman to her husband so their family can be satisfied. Are we called to do that? And then when she does and they give birth and she gives birth and the children are together, she realizes she can't endure the generosity that she once offered. And who could blame her for that? Well, Abraham, he just goes along for the ride. Must be nice, right? Including casting this child and this slave girl who had no choice in the matter at any point out to die in the wilderness, even though it says he had a feeling it was wrong. He knew it was wrong. And God, God seems to push them on their way. Where's the exemplar in that? That were to emulate, that were to take into the boardroom or the bedroom, for that matter. It's... It's difficult. Some passages don't lend themselves to easy ethical instruction. But that's not the gift of all scripture passages. We read the Bible too narrowly. There are other gifts in it for us. And sometimes rather than giving us a list of commandments, it gives us a story that seems to have a trajectory in the way it is and the way it must be and the way it's clearly headed. And then all of a sudden it explodes our imagination and takes a turn and shows that there's possibility where there seemed like there was no possibility. Because even though Hagar is out of earshot of Ishmael's cries, when young Ishmael cries out, God hears. And God sends an angel to Hagar to comfort her. And the angel says, do not be afraid. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand. I will make a great nation of him. Not just a great nation of Isaac, Sarah's offspring, but a great nation of Ishmael, the slave girl's offspring. Then scripture says God opens her eyes, Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up. And wouldn't you know, he grew up to live in the wilderness where new things are born all the time. As for the well, well, you know, as the legend has it, that well still runs today. You know where it is? It's in Mecca. And it's 20 meters, or 66 feet, away from the Kaaba, the cube, where the Muslims go on pilgrimage every year, round and round in worship. 20 meters, about a bowshot's distance, if you ask me. You see, God meets the tears of the frightened child and the thirst of the frightened mother with not only a promise of a great nation, but a well that doesn't run dry. And to this day, the children of Sarah and the children of Hagar are now trying to learn to play together again. Muslims and Christians and Jews. Well, that same water of that flowing well is flowing right through here today. I think it flows into every church, the well of God's promise. It's the water that occupies our font the baptismal font where we come uh, to remember God's promise to us, God's blessing, and it's where we make promises to one another. 
of how we will raise. And next week, you'll make promises to Allah and her children of how you will be godlike and Christ-like to those children. And we remind each other every time we touch that water of the promises we've been made, we've made to each other. And how we're going to be in a reality that's full of life-giving streams and also intimidating, fear-mongering pillars. The baptismal font is where we say something about the world it is to which we belong over and against competing visions of the world. That's all Paul is talking about in that passage. And Paul is hard to hear, and he gets such a bad rap, especially among Christians. He's seen as a legalist who is just strictly holding on to an, to a, an establishment, and a certain way of being. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because Paul at his heart is a mystic. That, that old way, that strict way, was how he was when he was persecuting the early followers of Jesus. And then Paul has a religious experience where he is literally blinded by the light, knocked off his feet into a new way of seeing the world. Paul doesn't spend his time regurgitating Jesus' ethical teachings. He knows them. Because he embodies them, and the way he understands them is nothing short of dying to an old way of being. An old individual way of being, and an old way of being together in community, in old systems, saying that's death, and you have to die to them. This is what he says. He says, do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we've been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, so we too might walk in the newness of life. It's not just about afterlife. It's how to walk through this world in the newness of life. Now, if you stumble at these words, death and life, crucifixion and rebirth, Listen instead to, to Brother Richard Rohr, who, who talks about dying to false self, being born to true self, seeing the falsities of the world that's been set up and, and saying those aren't as real as what Christ has initiated. That is most real. Think of yourself as a snake. Okay, also bad rap in the Christian story. But, but snakes recognize that to grow, they must slough off their skin the dead skin, and we're no different. Skin uh, protects us. It serves a purpose until it constricts us, and then we have to let it go as we grow up into something bigger and more expansive. That's what Paul's inviting us to. The columns are falling, and to some it looks like the hills are burning, and it's scary. And yet, in the midst of all this, the word I'm given is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because there are little ones taking shelter in the safety of the wild. And, and they're learning new language. And they're seeing how things come together. And they're recognizing the connectedness of all things. And in them, God's dream has been planted like a seed and it's starting to germinate. 
The streams are running all through this world and they know it and you and we are being invited to it. And don't you want to be there to dip your feet in too, to, to touch those channels of living water and to become a channel of God's love into this world. They're calling to you. Don't you want to be a part of that? But you won't get there by sitting and, sitting and listening to me talk. I'll tell you that much. Come and touch and be reminded of that invitation and of that blessing. There's water all around this sanctuary. There are two bowls in the back. There's a font here. There's, there's a bowl here. And I'm going to stand over here in a minute with the bowl. And once I stop talking, it's your chance to start walking and to come forward or go to the back and touch that water and let it run down your face or your wrist or just your fingertips and be reminded of God's invitation to you that something new can be happening where it only seemed like old and death and blaze is taking place. If you want to put water on yourself, go to one of these. If you want me to do it, I'll be here. If you want to just sit and let the Spirit wash over you, that's fine too. Just be in prayer. Or maybe pick somebody, somebody you don't even know. As they walk forward, you just put all your prayer energy on them that they might recognize God's promise in their life. Recognize this invitation to you. It's not a ticket to get into heaven. Only. It's an invitation to move from death to life right now.
You may be seated. As always, I invite you to take a look at the announcements in the bulletin, see what's happening in the life of the church and our community. Um, This week, we've got the Women Connecting Group meeting on Tuesday night, a hike on Thursday. Also on Thursday, if you're not a hiker, Rob is going to be co-leading an interfaith retreat out at Green Gulch. The topic is wakefulness in a time of ecological unrest. It's with the Marin Interfaith Council. Um, So take a look. There's more details about those and other events printed here for you. So I invite you now, as you are comfortable, to stand, and let's join in our closing hymn together. It's number 753. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, who is Father and Mother of all of us, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day, be with you every day. Amen.